Has the world gone crazy? Life is difficult. When you need help, where do you turn? Welcome to Christian Impact, impacting your life with spiritual truth. I am Dr. Kelly Blanton, and I'm sharing practical truths in the Bible that can truly change your life. Today is October 4th, 2023. We continue our series, Words for Life, and today's word is accountable. So when we bring up the word accountable, sometimes people start cringing, they start having bad feelings. It's a word that has been misused by those who try to control and manipulate. But just because something has been misused doesn't mean the idea is bad. And so with today's word, let me ask you some questions to begin with. Do we trust God? Do we show it with our actions? Are our lives marked by a lifestyle for Jesus or for ourselves? See, if we want to live a life in faithfulness to God, our hearts must trust Him. We must live out what we believe in our actions. And that, of course, leads us to accountable accountability, something we don't like. But accountability goes right alongside with commitments. And we live in a world today that does not want to make commitments. Why? Because a commitment makes you accountable. But don't be deceived. We make verbal commitments every day in this world. So when I hear people go, oh, I don't want to commit or I don't want to be held accountable, or, but yet they're making commitments every day. What are some of those? Well, when we, when we promise to do something, when we promise to be there, when we promise I'm going to deliver this to you, when we promise I'll pay you back, I'll pay you back. Tomorrow, You see, there are things like that. These are commitments that we make every day. And yet, we don't want to be held accountable to the very words we say. If you, if you tell someone, please let me borrow $20 and I'll pay you back tomorrow. And tomorrow comes and you don't pay them back. How often do you get mad when they are mad at you for not paying them back. When they say, I want my money or else, they're holding you accountable. And yet when we're held accountable, we try to justify why we shouldn't be, why we should be allowed to break our promises. I just saw someone I know on Facebook, and I thought it was rather funny just knowing that the people and situations, but they had posted... If you need $20 to hold you over 
to tomorrow, I suggest you go to bed early. Thought that was sort of funny. Go to bed early. You don't really need it. But you see, our desire to fulfill such promises, our desire to fulfill things, doesn't mean that we always follow through. Talk is cheap. And so we're going to talk a lot about desire. Desire does not equal. It doesn't mean you follow through. Just because you desire to follow through doesn't mean you will follow through. And with that, we have our three scripture passages from the lectionary that we're going to read. And we're going to start off with Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 18. And these are 18 verses, so please hang with me as I read through this. It says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, but also the interest of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death even death of the cross. Therefore God also highly exalted him and given him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those in heaven and those those on earth and of those under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children of God without fault in the midst of of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world, holding fast to the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. Yes, and if I'm being poured out as a drink offering on the sacrifice of service of your faith, I am glad and rejoice with you all. For the same reason you also be glad and rejoice with me. Now I know 18 verses. On a podcast like this, reading it can be a little bit of a stretch. Thank you for hanging in there. But in this passage of Scripture in Philippians, Paul is being a source of encouragement. He's talking about a new way of living. This is how we should be living. We shouldn't be thinking about ourselves and our own interests. We should be putting up others as if they're better than us. We should be looking after the interests of others. We should... We should love. We should not have selfish ambition and conceit. See, ambition and conceited, we see this in people today. We see that their ego is they believe they're better than everyone. It's the, it's, 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 it's the spirit that is taking hold and is not as contrary to what a Christian life is. And Paul uses Jesus as the ultimate example. 
he is God. He is equal to God. And yet he didn't use that. He humbled himself and became a man. And he was obedient even to death, even to going to the cross. He didn't have to do any of that, but he humbled himself and did it. And he, and it's, it's an example to us. And of course, it says, he did this, now his name is above every name. Then likewise for us, it's, it's, a, it's a new life. And so many times you, you get through this, he's reminding us about the destructive nature of sin. This selfish ambition that our attitude needs to be the same as Christ. And there's so much more I could just go on and on. I'm, I'm just, I want to highlight some things because, you know, he's, He's tackling issues like conflict and comparison. Yeah, he's reminding us that salvation is an ongoing journey for obedience. Again, referring back to the example of Jesus. But there's a there's a there's a point there that we need to look at, and that's the God who works in you to will and to act. This is in verse 13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. God is in us to will and to do or to act. He's in you to will and to act. I know I'm repeating this, but it's it's something that you almost need to begin to meditate on a little bit. Really think about God is in you to will. What is will? To choose. It's, it's not a feeling. It's not an emotion. It's not even logic. It's the ability to choose and to do. This a call to action. You see, in our flesh, we're all selfish. We're all ambitious. We're all conceited. We all put others down. But with God in us to will... He gives us the ability. He gives us the ability to will, to, to put others before ourselves and to do or to act, to actually to humble ourselves and live a life that God is calling us to. Now, this is important because when we're talking about accountability, we have to understand that it is God in us that provides us what we need to will and to act to live out the kingdom of God in us. Sometimes when we look at some of God's standards, we, we all want to do it and we realize, I, I, I can't, I don't understand it, I fall so short. But the Spirit of God is in us to do these things. And therefore, if the Spirit of God is in us, He has provided us the ability so we can. Yes, you can because the Spirit of God is in you to will and to act for his pleasure. It is God's pleasure to see us do these things, to allow us to have the opportunity to do these things. It pleases him, and it pleases him because for us to will and to act is a is a mode of faith, and it's our faith that pleases him. Now let's take this and look at our second scripture, Matthew chapter 21. Verses 23 through 32. It reads, Now when he came 
talking about Jesus, when he came into the temple, the chief priest and the elders of the people confronted him as he was teaching and said, by what authority are you doing these things? And who gave you this authority? But Jesus answered and said to them, I also will ask you one thing, which if you tell me, I likewise will tell you by what authority I do these things. The baptism of John. Where is it from? From heaven or from men? And they reasoned amongst themselves, saying, If we say from heaven, he will say to us, Why then did you not believe him? But if we say from men, we fear the multitude, for all count John as a prophet. So they answered Jesus and said, We do not know. And he said to them, Neither will I tell you by what authority I do these things. But what do you think? A man had two sons, and he came to the first and said, Son, go and work today in my vineyard. And he answered and said, I will not. But afterwards he regretted it and went. Then he came to the second son and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. But he did not go. Which of the two did the will of the father? And they said to him, The first. And Jesus said to them, Assuredly, I say to you that tax collectors and harlots enter the kingdom of God before you. For John came to you in the way of righteousness, and you did not believe him. Tax collectors and harlots believed him, and when you saw it, you did not afterward relent and believe him. Now, I would, I would almost think right now that that portion of scripture from Philippians to will and to act, this parable here is giving us the action. This is what it, it looks like. See, Jesus is there and he's being confronted by chief priests, the elders. Think about this. This is like the religious spirits of the day. You know, you and I are not going to face a chief priest and, and elders like this. But that same religious spirit that was upon them that Jesus was dealing with is is attacks us today because God is in us. The spirit of Jesus is in us. And so this religious spirit will attack us the same way. But what authority? See, that's the point of accountability. You cannot have authority without accountability. And if you're not accountable, you have no authority. You think you do, but you if you're not accountable, you have no authority. Your word is worthless. You have no accountability. And so these religious spirits, they wanted to trap Jesus. Religious spirits do that. They they're devious, they attack, and so they're trying to trap Jesus. Well, these things things try to trap you and I. And Jesus gives them a parable about to will and to do, or willing in action. See, and Jesus talks about the two sons. One son said, I'm not going to do it. Any of you out there have children, you ask them to do something, and they go, I don't want to do it, I ain't going to do it. And you leave them alone. And their hearts are actually sort of tender. You see, in their heart... They want to please you. They want to please their parent. They want to do the right thing. And they didn't want to do it. And they told you they didn't want to do it. And you lifted with that. Well, I told you to do it and that's that. And you just walk off. They said they weren't going to, but they feel bad. And they turn around and they do it anyway. And they do it because they, they just want to do the right thing. They want to please the parent. Then you've got the other son that says all the right things. Oh, yes, I'll go do it. 
yes, sir, yes, sir. Maybe, maybe some of you have had kids like that in the past where you've asked them to do something and they said, and they said all the right things. And then you leave them and they don't. And you see in their heart, they don't want to do it. They don't care if you're happy or not. They just want to say the right thing so that you will leave them alone in that minute so they can go on to do what they want to do. Jesus here deals with these religious spirits by making a distinction between saying and doing. There's a difference between following God and talking about following God. There's a lot of believers out here in the world, they talk beautifully. I've met them. I was I did youth pastor work for 20 years. I met some beautiful teenagers that were very eloquent and could tell you all about how they love God and all the religious things they do. And yet, you turn your back and they do exactly what they want to do and it's not what God wants. I've seen the same thing with adults. I've seen adults that you would think, oh my gosh, this is a wonderful Christian. This is a person that should be a leader, a rock in the community, someone everyone looks up to because they say the right things. But then they don't do what they say. Then you've got those that they seem like they fight you the whole way. And yet, despite them throwing a fit, and I don't want to do that, they they do it anyway. I've had some teens that they didn't want to do the retreats. They didn't want to do the outreaches. They didn't want to do things. And yet, they were the best helpers, workers. They showed up. They They paid whatever they needed to pay. I'd have some kids that were like all on board and yes, 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 yes. And they wouldn't pay and they wouldn't show up. And I have some that would, would grab they didn't want to, but you know what? They were always there and they always paid. Adults are the same way. I just pick on teens because A, I, I did it for so long, but sometimes there's something about that age group, teenage, college age, where there's sort of an honesty sometimes in what they say. And this is just such a good example because it's the young people that are ones that are working in the framework of accountability with some authority. And so this stuff is heard all the time. But it is the same with adults. It's a little bit different because the people in authority over adults are usually bosses and different issues. But the principles are the same. But in churches, there's a difference between following God, wanting to please God, and then those that talk about it. See, obedience is more important than the desire to obey. Good intentions are not what God desires. God doesn't care about, well, I had a good intention, Lord. My intention, I, I intended to go worship you, Lord. I, I intended to do the right thing, but I didn't do the right thing. But God, you know my heart. See, that's, that's a lie of the enemies that we tell God, God, you know my heart. You know my intention was to do the right thing, but I did evil. See, that's a lie. And, and let me tell you, it's not a lie to God. It's a lie from the enemy to you. 
when you say, God, you know my heart. Yes, God knows your heart. God knows your heart is lying. God knows your heart doesn't want to do it. That's why you didn't do it. What you're saying is a deception. And if you believe that, if you believe that you're going to get away with good intentions, you're deceived. If I do 90 miles an hour in a school zone and the cop pulls me over and I say, well, Lord, my intention wasn't to hurt anybody. And I, and I, you know what? He's still going to give me that speeding ticket or haul me into jail because I was going that fast in a school zone. Doesn't matter that my intentions were, there have been many people that have accidentally killed somebody and they say that wasn't my intention. But guess what? They're answering for murder. There are going to be people all filled in hell. Hell's going to be filled with people that had good intentions. In the end, you can say, Lord, I intended to make you my Lord and follow you. I just ran out of time. That's not a good excuse. Again, the religious spirit, they want to look good on the outside. They talk good. But obeying? No. You see... Your obedience, and this is sometimes, see, this is what gets so difficult. You talk about obedience and we think about law. I have to do these things or, or I'm not saved. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about the accountability of, listen, you obey because you're following God. When you're not following God, you will not obey. You will not do things. You're not following God. Therefore, you're not going to do these things. Your obedience shows you. It shows you. That's what the whole parable is about. The son said he didn't want to do it, but he went and did it anyway. Well, why? Why did he go do it? Because it was a matter of the heart. His heart was really there. Even the religious people understood the parable. And Jesus says, well, that's why tax collectors and harlots are getting in. Yes, they've done terrible things. But when made the offer, they followed. Then he turns around and tells them, you didn't know. And then when the tax collectors and harlots believed and began following, when they said, you still didn't believe. You still didn't relent from your religious activities. Now let's get into our last passage, Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 18, verses 1 through 4, and then verses 25 through 32. It says, The word of the Lord came to me again, saying, What do you mean when you use this proverb concerning the land of Israel, saying, The fathers have eaten sour grapes, the children's teeth are set on edge. As I live, says the Lord, you shall no longer use this proverb in Israel. Behold, all souls are mine, and the soul of the father as well as the soul of the son is mine. The soul whose sin shall die. Now let me stop right there before we go into verse 25. There was a proverb, you know, and I know a lot of people don't get it. The fathers eat sour grapes and the children's teeth are set on edge. What does, what does that mean? It means the father eats a sour grape, you know, like think about the, like those little sour patch gummy things. They were really sour. And you eat it and your whole face wants to contort or maybe you suck on a lemon. Some people like that. Some people don't. But, you know, you suck on it and if it's really sour, your face scrunches up. This proverb says the father eats the sour grape and the kid's face contorts. So the idea is whatever the father does, it hits the son. As Christians, we, 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 we use this proverb, but we use the excuse of saying, well, it's a generational curse. Oh, this is, it's a generational curse from the father. So the fathers did this and now the son's going to do it. And now the grandson's going to do it. It's a generational curse. 
And then God says, behold, we're not going to use this proverb anymore. The soul that sins dies. Listen, Jesus doesn't believe in generational curses. Now hear me. It's not that generational curses aren't real. Jesus broke the curse. Jesus defeated generational curses. God doesn't want us using a generational curse as an excuse. You, We cannot say, because my father did this, because my grandfather did this. When Jesus has provided the means to break the curse, there is no reason what the ancestors has done should affect you because Jesus has broken the curse. And the sin, the soul who sins... In other words, your dad might have had this, your grandfather might have had this, but Jesus has broken this off of you. And now if you do it, it's not because of the generational curse. It's your decision, not their decision. This is your decision. Let's go on to verse 25 through 32, Ezekiel 18. It says, Yet you say, the way of the Lord is not fair. Here now, O house of Israel, is not my way which is fair, and yours ways which are not. When a righteous man turns away from righteousness and commits iniquity and dies in it, it is because of the iniquity which he has done that he dies. Again, when a wicked man turns from the wickedness which he committed and does what is lawful and right, he preserves himself alive. Because he considers and turns away from all the transgression which he committed, he shall surely live. He shall not die. Yet the house of Israel says, The way of the Lord is not fair. O house of Israel, is not my ways which are fair, and your ways which are not fair. Therefore I will judge you, O O house of Israel, every one according to his ways, says the Lord God. Repent, and turn from all your transgressions, so that iniquity will not be your ruin. Cast away from you all the transgressions which you have committed, and get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit. Why should you die, O house of Israel? For I have no pleasure in the death of one who dies, says the Lord God. Therefore, turn and live. Here it is, the awesome love of God. He does not want us to perish. He doesn't take pleasure in death. He has broken off the curse. See, this is what accountability is like. I know last week I talked about that's not fair. And here it is again. And it's easy to read through the parable of the sons and begin talking about accountability and say, wait a minute, this isn't fair. This isn't fair. And God very quickly chimes in. We're the ones that don't understand fairness. See, our idea of fairness is really selfishness. I want my way. I don't want your way. I want my way. And God's saying, my way is not your ways. My ways are higher than yours. From the message higher ways. We're the ones that have things backwards. And he says, listen, if, if, if you're talking good, you're always talking good, but then you commit iniquity. See, when a righteous, it was talking about, it says, when a righteous man turns away from his righteousness and commits iniquity and dies, it's because of his iniquity. That's what the religious spirit is. The religious spirit talks right. It makes you think it's righteous, but it's not righteous. And it, and that's why there's iniquity. And he dies in it. And there will be accountability for that. You can't just talk and, and, and live in sin. There's accountability. But that same accountability goes to what about those that are wicked? What about those that have lived in transgression? 
if they if they hear the word of the Lord, if they see this and they turn, they turn away. They what? I like it. Turn and live. Cry out to the Lord. Repent. Turn from your transgressions. I mean, that's the gospel. Jesus walked up to these tax collectors, these sinners, and he didn't say, ah, well, yeah, I love you. Keep sinning. He looked at them and said, the kingdom of heaven is here. Repent. Come to me and repent. And they did. They left. They left their darkness and they came to him. They turned and found life. Believe it or not, that's just as much accountability as the other way. See, we think accountability is when you do something wrong that someone's going to punish you. That's accountability. But accountability is also if you're doing wrong but repent and change your ways, you shall live. You've been held accountable because that's what accountability is. It has caused you to repent and to turn. I love that. God has no pleasure in death. Moreover, he says what? Get yourselves a new heart and a new spirit for why should you die? You see, by coming to the Lord, by receiving that accountability and you come to the Lord, he gives us a new heart. Because you see, it is the spirit of God in us. See, that's that new spirit to will and to do. The Spirit of God makes us new. He makes us new creations, new creatures, so that we can now will and to do, so that we can make this turnaround. So today as I end this, be transparent with your faith. Be transparent with yourself. None of us are perfect, but where do you fall short? Where have you disobeyed the Lord this past week? Where do you identify with these two sons? Which of these two sons are you? Do you say the right thing but never change? Or do you sometimes complain but you actually are going to do what God wants anyway? Ultimately, do you see God working in you? Because He is in you. It's not about perfection. Is Can you see God working in you? Sometimes when you hear a message like this, if you find yourself feeling a little bad because you know, yeah, yeah, I haven't really walked around. I haven't done this. Listen, it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. It's the spirit of God in you wanting to give you a new spirit, and a new heart. That's where he's wanting to work on you. This is a moment that we can turn to him and live to find newness, to find refreshment for him to change us and draw us close to him. Because you see his pleasure is to do good in our lives. He, he, his pleasure is to see his will and actions done in our life. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us, God, that you hold us accountable, God, not for our bad, but for our good, because you want us to live and not die. Lord, give us a new heart. Give us a new spirit, God. Make us soft, God, and help us to be that light in this dark world, God to love people and make a difference, Lord. And we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this teaching and this podcast. You can listen to others at our website, www.christianimpact.net. N-E-T, that's not a .com, it's .net. And until next time, God bless. Yeah.